Hello, and welcome to the IMS Insights Podcast. Today, we're speaking with esteemed economist and statistical expert, Dr. Charles Cowan, about HR analytics and the importance of human capital in a post-pandemic economy. Dr. Cowan is the Chief Executive Officer and Co-Managing Member for the National Statistics, Finance and Economics Consultancy, Analytic Focus. With more than 40 years of experience, Dr. Cowan is an IMS elite expert, specializing in the development of financial research and its use in improving shareholder values, economic impact studies, and risk management. And you're kind of segueing into something I'd like to ask you a little bit about too, Dr. Cowan, HR analytics. What exactly is HR analytics and why is it so important right now? Well, HR analytics is just the application of analytical tools to problems that you see in human resources. We offer some work in uh, some support in HR analytics, <clears throat> but I also do quite a bit of review of uh, textbooks and, and methodologies that are used in HR analytics. Right now, it's uh, the, the big concern for many firms, or I'm sorry, pre-pandemic, the big concern was uh, staff retention, because that's a huge expense that people suffer and it impacts them in a lot of ways. With the pandemic, um, many people were laid off. Uh, companies are now trying to bring people back. So some of the analytics goes into how many people should I bring back? Uh, what should I pay them? How do I retain them once I get them back? What's it gonna cost me to train these people? There are all sorts of new questions coming in that were secondary questions pre-pandemic, but now are top of the mind questions because there's a wave of hiring going on in many industries. And in other industries, as you diversify and move people out of the office, then there's a question of, well, what's the uh, cost benefit of retaining some people that I may not need because I don't need to have as, as many people if the people that I've got are more productive and have more time because they don't have to sit on the subway for two hours each way, mm-hmm. or for Los Angeles, four hours on the expressway each way, which makes for a really long day. So is there a trade-off, um, a trade-off between current paying current employees versus retaining them long-term? Can you talk to us a little bit about you know core teams, core competencies, and building long-term value? I can, and I can even give you a good example of where this is important. So in a lot of cases, you know, people, uh, this is true even in, in my own office, people who join your company, it, it takes them uh, anywhere from three months to a year to ramp up to really understand what it is you're doing, what it is you're offering, uh, what the uh, customer needs, how to interact with customers. And you know, it's a long-term training process not so much in the skill sets that they're bringing to the table, but rather how to fit those skill sets into the milieu that you have for your business. If you've ever gone to a restaurant that just opened, you'll notice that the service is not the greatest. And the reason is because those people haven't worked together before. And they may have gone through training and they may have interacted some with each other during training and during dry runs. And a good restaurateur will make sure that they they do a fair amount of that before they actually open a restaurant. But the truth is, is that even if it's a chain and they've been around forever, once they open a new location, that new location suffers for two or three months 
until everybody figures out what everybody else is doing mm -hmm. and there's reasonable interaction and supervision over everything that's going on. I think everybody's been through that experience where you go to the new restaurant and you've got these high expectations. I go to the new restaurant with low expectations because I'm figuring that they, they haven't worked together long enough to know sure. how to interact <laughs> with each other. We have um, a couple of good examples of that, not, not too far from where I live, where you know it's a, a new opening and you think this is a great place and you've been to this restaurant before in other locations and it, it disappoints you. You have to let them you know, kind of mature. I think that the, what you're gonna lose here is in companies that you, you're gonna lose some of that because people don't have that interaction. They don't have the hallway discussions. They don't have the uh, opportunity to, to pursue new ideas or find out what somebody else is doing. Uh, in another conversation you and I had, I talked about um, when I was at the Census Bureau, I learned all sorts of fascinating stuff from other people who were working on other projects, but we would talk about what we were doing and you'd get this breadth of information about things that people were doing and how things worked that uh, you can't get online because you're only talking to your group and you're not running into people or making these connections that are intrinsic to the, the learning process. I see that as a real downside in the pandemic. I also think that HR analytics programs right now are just don't think about that at all. I mean, they, they uh, because it's been around for so long and people are so used to that type of interaction that once it's removed, you know, how do you model that without actually thinking about adding a component to the HR analytics offerings that you, you have? I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because um, you're almost talking about these intangible aspects that help companies innovate, share ideas across departments, across groups that might not otherwise be deliberately interacting with each other. There's this intangible stuff that's there. Um, you know, and you mentioned you're you're reviewing textbooks and looking at lots of different models and approaches for using analytics um, to make those HR decisions or decisions about investment. You know, do we keep this brick and mortar office? Do we not? What are we going to lose? How how relevant, how current, and how equipped are the model? Most of the models that are out there right now to help companies and firms really address this stuff. Well, I don't think that they're real well equipped right now. I think. You know, and I don't mean to disparage the models or the companies that are doing this. Mm -hmm. It's just that they're in a new time and they haven't caught up yet. Yeah. So uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is employee engagement. <clears throat> There's um, a lot of controversy about whether or not to measure employee engagement and what it means. Well, in the past, employee engagement had to do with um, measurement of um, how engaged you were within the job that you were holding and uh, you know your expectations for promotions and uh, how you got along with your coworkers and stuff like that. Well, if you're in a manufacturing setting and you are working in a warehouse, all of those still apply because mm -hmm. you're not gonna be able to work in a warehouse uh, over the internet. So for those types of businesses, I think the HR analytics models um you know don't have to adapt much with with one exception which i'll come to in a second but you, you know again 
every time we talk about what's the impact of the pandemic and the use of um, the internet and electronics, we're really talking about different classes of businesses because if you you know if you're in manufacturing and everybody's got to be on the assembly line, that's not changing. If you're in an office setting and you're offering you know financial planning or you're a law firm or whatever, and now everybody's working remotely, then you've lost something significant, and that something significant is where people uh, interact and exchange ideas uh, because it's just that much harder to do unless there is a um, intervention of some sort that brings that around. So um, I, I think, so to answer your question, I think the models are still good for some things. I think they're not so good for others, um, but then there's one other change, which is you're seeing a lot more competition for workers in the market space now. Um, so just this morning, there was news about McDonald's now offering $15 an hour to work at McDonald's at the lowest levels, but they're modifying their pay at all levels for retention and to recognize that as people are progressing through McDonald's as part of their career, you know, they need to have an expectation that they're going to uh, do better by staying with McDonald's than switching over to some other form of employment. So it, it used to be that the big worry was about retention. Now the big concern is bringing people in uh, and getting the best of the, the people. Because the other problem is if you're offering $15 an hour and somebody else is offering 13 bucks an hour, you tend to get the pick of the best people for the 15 bucks an hour. And then guess where the, the people that you didn't hire go? They go to the $13 an hour. Well, they recognize that they're getting less money, but you pick the best so those, people who are going to these other positions um, are not the same quality of person in terms of, you know, work ethic or what they know. And so what happens there is, is that you either have to learn to compete uh, against your, your other, the other firms that are hiring, or you're going to have to have a different expectation about your employees versus their employees. I'm bringing this up because I, I don't know of any models out there right now that look closely at competition. And even pre-pandemic, there were no models that looked at competition mm -hmm. for this particular um, resource, which is your workforce. So now that there's more and more competition and there's a much better exchange of information among people than there ever used to be, what you find is, is that the models don't allow you to think about, well, if I do this, what are my competitors going to do? And do I get into some sort of cycle where I make a change, they make a change, somebody else makes a change, I have to make a change in return. And, you know, you cycle to a new position in the marketplace, as, as opposed to you just making a change as if there were no other businesses in the world. Right. I, I think that's unrealistic. How unrealistic that is, is really heightened these days because of uh, the problems of people not having workers that they that they need to hire makes sense you're almost um you know i hear you talking it's almost more of a dynamic model that firms really need to be able to have a clear view or at least the best possible chance you can have to have a clear view of all the likelihood sort of likely what if scenarios right right and even in um like office positions you know if you're working from home 
and you don't care about your surroundings because you're working from home, that makes it easier for you to transition from one place to the next because you don't have a whole lot of friends around you mm -hmm. uh, that you are, you know, tied to, or you don't have a mentor. Um, you don't have as close a relationship with a mentor as you might have had previously. Mm. So even in, in those settings, mm. competition, I think, is be between companies for top talent is only going growing stiffer than it ever was before. Thank you to Dr. Charles Cowan for speaking with us today, and a special thanks to our listeners. At IMS, we're trusted to deliver integrated trial services for the most influential global firms. It's been our privilege to serve our clients on more than 20,000 cases and over 2,000 trials. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and join us next time on the IMS Insights Podcast.